0: From RTÉ News, I'm Sandra Hurley and I'm joined by Fine Lee TD and Chair of the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee, Charlie Flanagan, as well as our political correspondent, Michal Lahan. Charlie Flanagan, you're a former Minister for Foreign Affairs. The government has said that uh, Ireland is not politically neutral when it comes to what's unfolding in Ukraine. Do you agree?
2: I do. I very much agree. Uh, I don't believe that we have ever been politically neutral. And I point to our membership of the European Union and I point to our very important and special relationship with the United States of America. So, so to say that Ireland is in any way politically neutral, uh, implying or maybe even expressing that we shouldn't participate, that we should in some way be bystanders or that we should in some way be on the sideline watching the players on the pitch is fundamentally wrong. Now, when it comes to being members of a military organisation, our position is such that we're not. We never have been. Uh, I don't believe we've had that debate with the Irish people. And I believe that there are some constitutional constraints in Ireland joining or paying up to a common defence. But if we don't join a European common defence, that's not to say that we cannot participate. And we are participating already insofar as uh, current uh, debates are concerned uh, uh, around the pooling of resources uh, in the European, peace, the European peace facility and the pooling of resources in terms of the general sovereign, uh, sovereignty uh, of the national states in Europe. One of the big things in Brexit was that the British people and the British government felt that they had ceded sovereignty to the European Union and they didn't want that. They wanted to retain their own national sovereignty, which is all very very fine, you know, if you're a faraway island. But Ireland's position has always been that we're pooling sovereignty. So we give a bit of Irish sovereignty, but we gain a bit of French sovereignty or sovereignty from Denmark. Are any of the other countries.
0: But how far does Ireland go? Because eyebrows have been raised at this uh, formula that was come up with last weekend, that Ireland would contribute to the sort of non-lethal element mm. of the EU effort to combat the Russian invasion. So essentially the Taoiseach has said that we might help with getting fuel for tanks, but not for the tanks themselves. Is that a, a nonsense distinction?
2: Uh, it's a Jesuitic distinction. Uh, but I understand where the Taoiseach is coming from. Uh, because the Taoiseach is not uh, burdened by any constitutional requirement or he doesn't appear to be burdened by any law but he is complying with the program for government uh, that he signed uh, on behalf of the Fianna Fáil party and that I signed up to as a member of the Fine Gael party and that document specifically states in relation to defence and international uh, arrangements Um, And I quote, within the context of the European peace facility, which Ireland pays into, Ireland will not be part of a decision making or funding for lethal force weapons for non-peacekeeping purposes. So Michal Martin is absolutely correct to make that distinction. I might call it a Jesuitical distinction, which could be strongly argued, but in any event, we're bound by it as far as the program for government is concerned. Now, do we change the program for government? Uh, you know, I think it's unlikely in the current emergency context. Is there going to be a review of the programme for government when Mian Martin uh, hands over to Leo Varadkar in December? Likelihood is there'll be calls for it. I don't think I'll be calling for it. But if there is one, I think we should look at this because it it, it certainly doesn't anticipate the type of emergency that we are now in. And from my an what
0: would you change it to then?
2: Uh, well, I would. I, I I'm. I am a firm believer in Ireland taking strong political sides, uh, which I mentioned earlier, strong relationship with the States. The States has been very good to us in terms of the peace process, uh, in terms of envoys coming over, uh, and more recently in terms of our Brexit problems. So when I hear people before profit, and when I hear left-wing politicians in this parliament decry the use of Shannon Airport, by the Americans, I believe that they are wrong. Uh, I, I believe it's a small price to pay in terms of our relationship with America. And such activities in Shannon Airport, you know, are are, are guided by very strict principles uh, and practices. And I know that having served as Minister of Justice, having served as Minister for Foreign Affairs, you know, the the, the refueling of planes going across the world, engaging in peacekeeping operations, to my mind, is by no means an infringement of Ireland's non-alignment. But what it does do is it sends a signal uh, that Ireland, in terms of our political relationship with the US, is in a firm position. There's not, there's not a local council in the United States of America, or a regional council, you can go from the from the from the lowest order of local council in any city in America right up to the White House, and you'll have Irish participation, and Friends of Ireland. Uh, well, what it, about you know,
0: Irish neutrality at the moment? We've certainly seen a change in tone. I think o- in, over the last week, from both the Taoiseach and the that yeah. the Thonista, Leo Bradger in particular, mentioning Ireland's security and saying we need to have a discussion about neutrality. And there's a suggestion there that. Some would say it's already being eroded, but a suggestion coming from the top that maybe we need to change your stance somewhat. I've had
1: an enthusiasm for this, though, and your critics would say you're using this as an opportunity to to further that in. Well, I I certainly would
2: not like to see this debate being framed in any way along the lines of opportunism. But I do feel that we need to look at the reality. Uh, You're right. Uh, There have been... Uh, calls of some description in our party over the years that matters in terms of our our political connections to Europe and beyond, you know, might be more clearly defined. Um, I don't, for example, subscribe to any form of European army. Uh, I don't believe that the Irish people have an appetite for Ireland to voluntarily join NATO, but I do believe we can do more, uh, and I wouldn't like to see that being framed in any way as opportunism but I think the opportunity that's there now is for Europe to work together you know you can look at it in in many respects in day to day terms you know any club worth joining is worth defending Uh, and we when you say
0: do more like spell it out for people what would the change be
2: well for example uh, we we, we have signed up to the European peace facility Uh, we have signed up Pesco, for example, which was hotly contested uh, in the door, We have signed up to many peacekeeping operations. In fact, we have signed up to EU battle groups, the Nordic battle group. And to the best of my recollection, or indeed to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe we've ever participated, but we have signed up and we can participate. I go around to schools in my constituency a lot. Uh, and the first thing I see in a primary school or even in a secondary school is a poster to the United Nations uh, you know Ireland being a very strong member of the United Nations we have not been a member of a military organization therefore we are particularly proud of our membership of the UN and our peacekeepers and Irish peacekeepers have done particularly well across the world in some of the most challenging and difficult terrain that the planet has but we have now come across uh, a a a real and serious issue about this participation insofar as we are reliant upon a mandate of the Security Council. And this is where the triple lock comes in, where, where, where for Ireland to participate at international peacekeeping level, we need a, a UN mandate, we need a decision of government and we need a resolution of the Daw. But in order to get a UN mandate, we're going to need the Russians. And that is not going to be forthcoming. But you
0: remember the debate on that. It was extremely fraught. Yes. And dismantling that in any way is likely to be really difficult.
2: Yes, I accept the difficulty, but I do believe that there are certain aspects of it that we need to look at. And again, if you look back over the last 20 years, when when did we debate these issues? We debated these issues in the heat of a number of EU referendums, Nice and Lisbon in particular, where um, emotion. Uh, tended to trump logic uh, or regulatory framework, where the spectre of a European army was was placed before Irish mothers. Would you like to see your sons and daughters coming back in in body bags? That was never going to happen. It was never going to happen. The argument was But it is a very
0: charged emotional treatment. area.
2: Of uh, course it is. But I don't believe there are any circumstances under which Ireland would be asked to join a European army. Now, that is not to say that we would not make a contribution either to the decision-making or the funding in respect of what we're seeing at the moment. I met, I met the Ukrainian ambassador on the charge de Fire yesterday and i have listened firsthand to the horror stories coming from kiev you know a beautiful neoclassical city within the boundaries of europe i speak regularly to parliamentarians who are members of the foreign affairs and defense committee my colleagues in the uh, in the parliament uh, in kiev the the chairman uh, uh, of the committee is is actively out on the ground. He sends me horrific and harrowing pictures on a daily basis. This is a war on our doorstep. I'm by no means suggesting that Ireland become involved. In fact, we see that NATO is not becoming involved. But what I am pointing out is, you know, the dangers, uh, you know, expressed within our neighbourhood, that we need. To be aware of now what we saw in the last ten days is a real a real and serious wake-up call for Germany where a fortnight ago the Chancellor Olaf Schulz was you know in- engaging in a type of hands off um, activity
0: but they, they had to changed. engage in the diplomacy didn't they yes President macron and Chancellor Schulz simply had to try to talk to President Putin it yeah. didn't work you maybe you just can't engage at that level and perhaps um, is there a parallel there between their engagement and the Foreign Affairs Committee here inviting in the Russian Ambassador Yuri Filatov, when he blustered his way through an appearance a couple of weeks ago, said there was no plans for an invasion. Yeah. It turned out to be nonsense.
2: Yeah, well, what well, I thought in terms of in terms of parliamentary engagement, uh, that it was important that an invitation would be uh, would be offered uh, to uh, to the Russian ambassador. Uh, he he had been he had been invited to a number of other committees he declined. Uh, I was pleased that he accepted the invitation to come before us. He's not bound to come before us, he's not answerable to any doll committee, he's not answerable to parliament. Unfortunately, he availed of the opportunity uh, to engage in us to engage with us in a way that was misleading. Uh, and I regret that. Uh, and and you know, I I I think it was it was an unfortunate event from his point of view and from our point of view, well it showed uh, the type of 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 you know, activity that we are dealing with. And I, I'm a bit concerned uh, about the activities uh, in the Russian embassy here.
1: we last night talking about ex- the possibility of diplomatic expulsions, if not the expulsion of the ambassadors. Is that something you would support then?
2: Yeah, I, I, I certainly would. And there's precedent for that back in 2018 when, he, when we did uh, expel a number of officials from the Russian embassy in Dublin uh, as a consequence of the Salisbury poisoning uh, in Britain. Uh, so, yes, there is precedent there. But even, even, even if we do uh, ask a number to leave, there will be, uh, as the Tanishta and the Taoiseach have said, there will be a retaliatory strike. In other words, some of our people uh, in, uh, in Moscow will be, will be asked to come back. Uh, there could well be a downside to that, as, as the Taoiseach has said. But I, I, I don't think it's tenable to have a Russian uh, embassy in Dublin, with a complement of officials that seems to me to be higher than any other embassy in Dublin. Now, if you look at our trade with Russia, our commerce with Russia, our people to people relations with Russia, our political connections with Russia, you know, they're not I- in the first order. So, what so are we ha- doing? How can, how can we have a situation where there are at least 29 officials of varying description in Dublin? Operating on a full-time basis on behalf of the Russian government,
0: and you're suggesting that uh, the, the presence is much too large for the for what should be an operation well, in Ireland. Well, it seems to
2: me to be out, out of proportion. Uh, Ireland has three in Moscow. Uh, Russia has at, at least twenty nine here. And would you, you want go far- any more? <laughs> no. Um, what, what I would say is this: that, that, that this needs to be kept under review, uh, and I accept very much what T. Mayor Martin has said, insofar as it would be preferable that European countries, EU countries, you know, would proceed in a coordinated way. The days are gone of, you know, Ireland acting unilaterally. Uh, you know, international um, engagement, international war now, actually knows so no So you wouldn't
0: boundaries. support the calls for the expulsion of the Russian ambassador for Ireland to do that on its own? You think they have to act in concert with Europe? Well,
2: well. I have already suggested, uh, I've already called for um, Mr. Filatov to leave because he grievously misled a parliamentary committee. Uh, And I feel in terms of diplomatic relations, you know, that that is a fundamental breach of trust. Uh, And I I was most disappointed. And, you know, I feel that he should leave but I understand what the Taoiseach has said about coordination and I also understand what, what, what uh, Simon Kovney has said insofar as there would be an immediate, uh, an immediate act of retaliation on the part of, of the Russians. But in terms of diplomatic engagement between the Russian embassy in Dublin and the Irish government, or the Irish parliament as far as I'm concerned, I think there's been a fundamental breach of trust anyway, and I'm not sure if that can be re- repaired as long as as long as Mr Filatoff remains in charge.
1: There were two Irish MEPs who take a different view on all of this, and we saw that in the vote in the European Parliament this week. What's your view on that? Were you surprised? Uh, well,
2: I wasn't surprised at anything that Mick Wallace or Claire Daly would do. Um, I served with both of them uh, in Parliament. Uh, they were... On the foreign affairs committee when i was minister of for foreign affairs uh, i know their form uh, i have, i of course acknowledge that they have been lawfully elected by the people in a democratic election to the european parliament uh, but i think it's important uh, that their votes and their utterances uh, would be fully covered by the irish media and that their position uh, would be laid bare before the Irish people, which I find to be extremely disappointing and negative, and not representative or reflective of where the Irish people are.
0: But they would say that the reason they didn't support that resolution of the EU Parliament was because there was elements of it which called for an increase, a uh, push towards an increased EU militarisation, and uh, that they would be against that.
2: Yeah. Well, they are because they are fundamentally anti-America. And they are fundamentally anti-NATO. And I think that's regrettable.
0: OK, and just to clarify that they, would, they also said uh, after that vote that they, they do not support the Russian invasion in any form and they do not feel it's justified. Just yeah. to, to switch tack entirely here to the Labour Party, Michal, this, it's Thursday afternoon. It's been a pretty dramatic 24 hours around Leinster House. Where are we now?
1: Yeah, everything seems to be suggesting that Ivana Batchik will quite soon be the new Labour leader. It's moved at an extraordinary quick pace, uh, quite unexpected, I think, to those of us outside of the, the that inner Labour circle that seemed to know what was going on for maybe the, the past fortnight. This was a well-guarded secret until yesterday, and apparently Alan Kelly had run out of road. This day last week, it seems, and was sent away for the weekend to to reflect on things. But it is extraordinary for someone who had been a party leader who'd won a by-election and who had been there for two years, wasn't trending very well in national opinion polls, but still hadn't got to contest the local and European elections, which would have been the next test. Uh, But it seems when the people who came to him came to him, they were the type of people that he would view as good lads or sound men. Uh, Mark Wall, Sean Sherlock and Duncan Smith then he knew very clearly he couldn't he couldn't fight this. So he's gone quite swiftly.
0: And Charlie, you worked with Alan Kelly around the cabinet table in that 2011 to 2016 government. But now we're being told that he's being partly one of the reasons why he's being jettisoned by his party is because of his association with that government and the unpopularity that Labour faced afterwards, of having had to bring in many cuts. What did you yeah. do
1: to him, Charlie? You destroyed
2: him. If, if 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 I were to say that the Labour Party could teach Fine Gael, a thing or two about leadership heaves, um, I might be a bit flippant. Uh, and there is a serious side here, which, of course, is exclusive for, exclusively for the Labour Party. And I certainly don't wish to comment on the internal politics of the Labour Party. Other, other than to say one thing, uh, it appears from what Hall has said, that the next leader of the Labour Party will be a Dublin leader. Uh, that will, in effect, mean that every political party has an urban leader uh, Alan Kelly was a rural TD he was a neighbour of mine uh, Leash on Tipperary neighbours uh, not often good neighbours on the hurling pitch uh, but I think it will be regrettable that, that every political party in the country will have an urban leader. And as a rural TD, particularly having regard to, uh, you know, specific problems relating to rural Ireland, I think that's regrettable. But I wouldn't in any way proffer a view on, uh, on the Labour Party. I worked with Alan. He was, he, was, he, he was Minister for the Environment uh, in a government that was faced with huge challenges.
0: Leo Bradker said today that he was sometimes brash when he was a junior minister in the same department as, uh, uh, as him. Would you agree with that?
2: Uh, I would. Uh, I, I, I would add blunt as opposed to brash uh, and direct. Uh, would have clashed with Alan uh, a few times myself, particularly as Minister for Justice in the context of a number of Garda issues. Uh, but he, he, he uh, you know, he was a good politician. Um, stood out certainly for Tipperary and indeed for the Labour Party in very difficult times. I'm, I'm pleased to hear uh, that he will continue to remain as an active TD representing the people of Tipperary and in, you know, whatever national role that the new leader of the Labour Party uh, should should, should, uh, should mark out for him. Were the water Oceanway. charges
1: a kind of a poison chalice that were handed his way from Phil Hogan, from Fine Gael really, that, that ultimately did for Alan Kelly?
2: Well, I'm not sure if you could point to any one issue and you seem to be pointing to the issue of of water charges. Uh, That was a very difficult time. But remember, we were just recovering uh, or or leading, uh, I suppose, the building of the blocks of recovery following. Uh, economic mayhem and catastrophe. And, you know, oftentimes people forget that. And I do think that Labour government by and large, particularly Rory Quinn and Pat Rabbit and Brendan Howland and Eamon Gilmore and Alan Kelly uh, and all of those who served, you know, they did serve their country by putting their country before party. We saw that Eamon Gilmore suffered in 2014 and actually lost the leadership of the party very swiftly after the local elections. So maybe that parallel can be drawn to the manner in which uh, 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 Alan Kelly uh, has, uh, has lost the leadership.
0: And Michal, how steep is the challenge now for the new Labour leader? The brand has been badly damaged and they just haven't recovered at all since 2016.
1: Yeah, I think there's a fear within Labour that they're one step away from extinction, potentially. And there was a feeling that perhaps Alan Kelly could lead that way, could lead them onto the rocks a little bit quicker than others. Such was his style of running the party internally and how it was viewed by his colleagues. The party was being perceived uh, externally. So as a result of that, I think Labour will see that this offers them a quick rebrand, whether it uh, gains any traction, because for all the flaws that his colleagues have clearly identified with Alan Kelly, he was capable of a number of things. One was attracting publicity to the party, whether it's in an abrasive manner in his contributions in the dollar or not. Uh, he did attract publicity and he also had an ability to organise on the ground. But uh, the actual fruits of that work uh, probably won't be seen now because they would only be judged really in the local elections.
0: And uh, Charlie, what about Fine Gael at the moment? In some of the polls they're at their lowest level that they have been for a long time and yet Fianna Fáil seems to be doing better. So time what's, for a rural what's leader, is wrong? it Charlie?
1: Rural leader? Heather or Helen?
2: I don't see any circumstances uh, in which issues of that nature uh, will impinge on Fine Gael. Um, what I will say is this, that we're coming out of a very, very difficult time with Covid when really politics was stood down uh, and a few people uh, in government were charged with responsibility of leading the country through that very difficult time interesting to note opinion polls showing uh, that people were satisfied with the manner in which government handled that hasn't got down beyond that in terms of individual or particular parties uh, however uh, you know we are actively preparing for the local elections uh, for the next general election our party chairman richard bruton is leading up a number of 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 uh, a number of policy groups initiatives um, we have been in government now for 10 years uh, and i suppose the challenge for any party in government is and particularly a party that has been in government for so long like Finnegate, is to be able to differentiate between government on the one hand party on the other to see ministers like Leo Varadkar and pascal donahue and simon coveney working 24 7 putting Put in country before party and then you know how we can ensure that we say the party organization is fine-tuned that our party policies uh, are kept up to date and that our distinctive flavor in government uh, is appreciated and acknowledged by the Irish but surely what people. That's you, the task.
0: But surely what you mentioned there is Fine Gael's biggest handicap. The fact that Fine Gael has been in power for so long, 11 years. You're going into the next round of elections, having to fight on a record of being in power for so long. So things like the housing crisis, but, it's not fixed. But Fine Gael has been there for some time.
2: Yeah, but that shouldn't be a handicap. I mean, I, I would be concerned at, you know, the oldest the oldest political slogan in the world is time for change. But it's only time for change if matters are not going that well. And I think this government, unprecedented three-party government between the old civil war rivals of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, coming together with the Green Party, you know, offering leadership on climate change and appealing to, if you like, a wider electorate than the than the Civil War parties. I think this can be a really successful government. I think it can manage through But Trudar it needs O'Brien the time, doesn't it? To, it needs to, to run the full To solve full the housing crisis. And I accept that health and housing are the two issues. But I would like to see this government going into the next election, whenever that might be. And I do agree with you on the matter of time. But they would do so with confidence and not on the back foot. Or and not on the joint on the
1: platform, would you say? Uh,
2: I think it's too early to say that. And I think it will, it will, it will, it uh, will, be determined by the success of the program for government i hinted at a review earlier in, earlier in in this chat uh, and i'm you know i'm quite sure that i'm not going to be the only one who would look who would look towards that
1: uh, so you think there could be a significant review do you
2: no i i i, I think there will be uh, a review that will chart progress, a review that will uh, tick off the successes uh, and have a look at how best we can deal with the areas that we haven't been that successful. I look, for example, at health and the, you know, the really important waiting list initiative that was just published earlier in the week. Would it I be think, a good
1: idea to rotate those ministers around, would you think? No, be a, well, there might be, be a bit of that anyway, would there?
2: that that won't be a matter for me. I'm not, <laughs> would it be a good idea? But I'm would not, you expect no, that? No, would I'm you not, expect I'm the not, Minister?
0: Not, I mean, Leo I'm Vradker, we expect, is going to become Taoiseach. Therefore, there's a portfolio vacant there straight away. And uh, they'll have to, there'll have to be changes.
2: No, I, w- I, w- I won't advise Leo Vradker at this stage. And I won't Leo v- advise him from this platform either. Uh, but I will be talking to him and he will be talking to us as well. But I, I, I think the important thing is that, you, you know, if if there is two and a half, two and a half to three years, uh, that there is a, a you know, a, a fair degree of work to be done on the program for government and go to the country uh, to be judged by the record, which, you know, can be a very positive record. And that's what I look forward to your, seeing. Your
1: former party colleague, Michael Lowry, on the day this doll was formed, uh, talked about uh, having to share the victory days with Fianna Fáil from now on and how that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Is that a view you would subscribe to?
2: Yes, uh, I would, uh, because I think politics has changed. Uh, and undoubtedly, 100 uh, years after our independence, uh, that you know the burying of the hatchets between the two civil war parties is long overdue. Uh, I see in, uh, in my constituency uh, and I see across the country uh, that I would have a lot more in common uh, with my colleagues in Fianna Fáil. Uh, than I would have in other parties. That's not something that I would have comfortably said 10 years ago uh, if you look at it from a politically, uh, uh, ideologically perspective or indeed in terms of priorities for programme of government and particularly in a constituency like Leishoff where we have such challenges as the just transition, uh, grappling with China with climate change, what that means for our constituents, what it means for energy policy in terms of the loss of jobs in Bordnemona and ESB, the closure of the power station, uh, farming issues consequent on the war and consequent on climate change. Uh, and I think it's important that we would be seen to work together. Uh, and, you know, I see that in terms of the relationship between Barry Cowan and myself in Lee Shoffley. Okay, Not so so
1: enough so there though, for an RIC commemoration harmony. ceremony, is there?
2: Uh that 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 was um an unfortunate um event. Uh, I won't talk about it now, Michal, but I certainly would like the opportunity um of, of so doing. Uh I believe it was fundamentally misrepresented in a most malicious way for basic political motives, and I look back to an RIC Plaque uh plaque unveiling commemoration by a former shook in the year 2000 about which there wasn't a word of opposition.
0: OK, well, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for listening to the Your Politics podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.